titled this series, The Omega Series. We're going to be talking about the end. Everybody say the end. Now, the word omega is a Greek term or a Greek word. It means the end. In fact, we see it used in Scripture in the book of Revelation, um, which is an apocalyptic writings uh, in the Holy Scriptures. And, um, and we see it referring to Jesus. He is the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. And the way it's used in context is that Jesus is our all in all. He is complete. His work on the earth is a finished work. And so we're extracting the word because it does mean end. Uh, it's not really used in that context necessarily in the book of Revelation, re- referencing the end. But it is how we're going to use it. Um, it does mean the end. So it's just a term that we're going to use in this whole series. We're going to do a four-part series today. And you and I get to uh, encounter uh, some real truths. In fact, I don't know if you know this, but one out of 30 verses in the New Testament talk about the end or the return of Jesus. In fact, 23 of your 27 books in your New Testament actually refer in some kind of way to the end or the return or the second coming of Jesus. Now, in dealing with this topic, I usually uh, deal with this every few years uh, simply because of how much misappropriation there is out there about this topic and how weird people get. And how um, misuse um, of some of these truths in the scriptures and how they're used. In fact, what we're going to do in this series, and some of this is going to be a recycle of some of the things I've taught in the past, because this is really kind of our stance as a leadership team on what the end is all about. And why are these passages of scripture in the Bible and talking about the end. So we'll be looking at terms and I'll try to break down some terms. And here over the next five minutes, one of two things is going to happen to you. Either you're going to be bored out of your ever living mind and wish I would shut up because you're looking at what I'm about to say as if you're sitting in trigonometry class and that thing that came over you in trigonometry class may come over you now and you're like, why? I don't care. Others of you are going to be like, I know so much more than what he's saying. I have studied this person and this person person's teaching on that. But my goal is to give you a baseline from which to understand even what the scripture is trying to accomplish. And so with that being said, uh, we're going to look in this series in the New Testament and the four major passages of uh, apocalyptic teachings or the end times or the end. Uh, we're going to be looking at the book of Matthew today, Matthew chapter 24 specifically, the books of Thessalon- uh, the Thessalonians 1 and 2, where there's some real strong coverage of the end there, as well as First and Second Peter, and then we'll end out on the book of Revelation. Right. And so there's so much fun stuff in all of this. And so I want to take a moment and just kind of give you some verbiage. Maybe you're new to Christianity. Maybe you picked up these little things here and there. Maybe you've been a believer for, you know, 40, 50, 180 years. Whatever your case may be, I want to give you kind of a baseline. And there are going to be terms we're going to use, terms like rapture. Now, the word rapture is not actually in the scripture. The, rap, the word rapture is what we use in Christianity to, to kind of identify the taking away. The, 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 the Bible talks about one will be working, the other one beside him, and then one will be taken and one will be left. And there'll be a taken away or a, a rising in the clouds to meet him. Um, the word antichrist, you probably heard that in all the demonic movies that you used to watch back in the day before you came to Christ. The word antichrist or the term antichrist is referenced in the book of Revelation pretty extensively. And that's referring to um, there will be a person at some point that brings a world, world, uh, uh, one world government together uh, and, and to control and to, um, and to dominate. And really the goal behind this world leader is to, um, to, to stomp out Christianity, if you will, and uh, thus the 
antichrist term is attached. And there's all of these derivative pieces to that. But I want to just keep it as simple. There's the mark of the beast, the 666. How many of you heard of that? Come on, you sang that song back in the day. There you go. And so all you kiss lovers or whoever, all those motley crews, whatever you guys were into. And so that whole 666 is referring to a mark of the beast. In other words, that there will be this, there will be this thing that everyone is identified by. They'll take a mark. And, and as you study through Scripture, there's the understanding that you won't be able to, uh, you know, go back and forth and, 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 and do business without the mark. And so that's why uh, over my lifetime, there has been, everyone has claimed that this or that has been the mark. It started, you know, years ago with the chip in the military, you know, and chipping dogs, and that's the mark of the beast. It started with, you know, credit, actually it was credit cards way back in the day with us. This is the mark. If you take, and, and now, you know, the vaccine could be the mark. Everyone has these moments that this could be the mark and so forth and so on. Uh, also, uh, there's a term that, um, that we find um, used a lot uh, in, the, in the book of Revelation, and that is the, the, the battle, the battle of Armageddon, where there will be this, there will be this um, um, seven-year period the Bible talks about as the great tribulation, uh, three and a half and three and a half, and at the end of it, uh, there'll be this great battle where the, the peoples of the earth uh, you know, have, are going to try to destroy Jesus, and Jesus is going to come back, and there's going to be this great battle, and the battle's going to happen like this, because Jesus is going to annihilate them and all of their, their high-tech equipment and all that kind of stuff. And, and, uh, and, and, and so we, the believer, will be beside him, but he'll do all the battling, if you will. And then there's what the Bible refers to as a millennial reign, a thousand years on the earth where Jesus sets up camp, and he is the governor of the world. He is the president of the world, and there will be this millennial reign. Now, the reason why I bring out these terms is because there are so many different approaches to these understandings. In fact, the Bible is really clear that no man knows the end. No man, Jesus is very clear. I don't even know he said, only my Father in heaven. And so what I want to do in this series is help bring you the practical application of why these passages are in Scripture. Not all the what if, would have, could have, should have, because again, these are very subject, subjective passages because they're prophetic, they're prophetic utterances. They're, um, if you've ever had a prophecy and they say, you know, I just, I just feel like the Lord wants me to tell you, I see this, and, and, and that can mean a thousand things. And so that's the, that's the reason why there's no real clarity. I don't know why Jesus didn't say, hey, I'm going to give you a book, and I'm going to give you a play-by-play-by-play-by-play. I've sat, I've sat and read everyone's theology on that and, and different points. Everybody makes good points well, because then we wouldn't do this and we wouldn't do this and he would have done. And so, but there is not a play-by-play of what's going to happen for the end. There are some insinuations. There are some signs that things are starting to wrap up. And, uh, and I believe that the, the, Jesus calls them birth pains. I believe we're in those right now. Uh, I don't know if we've been in them for 2,000 years, but I'll tell you, it has gotten more wicked than anything I've ever seen in my few years of living. And I think our grandparents and great-grandparents would be rolling over in their graves right now to see how vile we have become as a society. And so I would say to you, things that are happening should awaken us to the truth that Jesus is Lord and we better be ready for him. Are you tracking with me? Say yes. So that's the real piece. So if I could for a moment, I want to give you a little chart that just kind of explain, if you will, the four real basic guys, real basic, the four kind of top pieces. It looks like my chart didn't look as clear as I wanted to. Sorry about that. Um, so there is, you can't really read the word, so I'll just have to call them out to you. There is um, the first position that, that, that I want to cover that many people hold is what they call a post-trib a post-trib, or even a pre-millennial. So what the concept is in Scripture is that from the cross till now, we have lived in what's called the church age, and, or, or, until, to, until a mark, mark in time. And then there will start, if you will, a tribulation time frame. 
And that tribulation will be seven years. Uh, the book of Revelation talks about the bowls of wrath, God's wrath being poured out on the earth. And so post-tribbers believe that Christians will go through this horrible tribulation and then Jesus will return and that they will be caught, then the Christians will be extracted from the earth simply to meet him in the air and then come da- back down with him, uh, come from you know, somewhere in the heavens, down with him as he defeats the enemies of God. And then that after that, there'll be a millennial reign, and then there will be, a, um, there'll be an end judgment. So that's the timeline that posts for the, again, real simplify, there's plenty of derivatives from that. And, uh, and the people that hold that, people that you may know or study, people like um, the IHOP movement, that, they're real strong post-trib. Uh, Dr. Michael Brown, one of, one of the people that I highly respect. And then there's a, another police place of theology or thought process, the second position that we'll cover for just a second, and that is pre-trib. Everybody say pre-trib. Now, pre-trib, the concept there for them is they see it that once the church age comes kind of to a close, then the tribulation will start, the great tribulation, and that the Christians will be raptured away. There'll be seven years of horrible stuff. We will be in heaven with Jesus Preparing at the end of those seven years, we will come back with Jesus as Jesus, um, you know, as Jesus fights the battle of Armageddon, destroys everybody, sets up his thousand-year reign, and then, um, and then, if you will, uh, the end judgment after a thousand years, the final judgment, and the earth and everything is destroyed thereafter. And so that's the pre, if you will, trib. You hear that all the time: pre-trib, post-trib. I'm pre-trib. I'm post-trib. That kind of thing. And that's their belief system. And so the post-trib would would say that the pre-trib is a very dangerous doctrine to hold because you're not preparing people to go through hardship. And so if they go through hardship, if, if you're wrong and they go through hardship, that they'll give up on God and they'll walk away from God in the midst of difficult times. So that's the post-trib's big piece. The pre-tribbers say, you know what? My God won't let me go through hard things. He's going to take me away. It's going to be easy peasy. I'm out of here. Peace to you. And I, you know, I love both sides of this whole argument. And, uh, but as your pastor, I have to prepare you to go through the most wicked, vile things that could ever happen on earth and stay loving Jesus. Come on, somebody. At the same time, I am asking for door number one. I mean, if, you know what I'm saying? I'm preparing for door number two, but I'm asking for door number one. You know, but at the same time, if, uh, there is this whole concept that I believe has gotten, uh, uh, you know, muddy, and that is that, you know, Christians won't go through bad things. That is not accurate. Jesus said, you will have trouble on the earth. Trouble. It's the same word of tribulation, actually. It's a real similar word in the Greek. You will have trouble on the earth, but take heart, because I've overcome the world. So the post-tribbers, they hold to the concept that there will be horrible things happening, but just like God did with Noah and the ark, he will encapsulate us and we will be protected in the midst of all the horrible things. In fact, their whole argument is this, is that what are you going to say to the Afghan Christians who are having their heads cut off right now by, by, by Muslim radicals and their children? Um, is this not difficult times for them? In fact, they would even point to when the iron, uh, before the bamboo curtain went up, how, um, uh, how missionaries went in and they were pre tribs, if you will, and they taught the people of, of China these, these, these thoughts that, you know, you will be ushered away before anything her- terrible happens. Then the Iron Curtain went up, and they began to be beat and murdered and whatever else, and when they came back, able to get back in the country years later, that the, supposedly the, the Christians said, many of us fell away because you told us that we wouldn't go through bad things and that we would be ext- uh, extract- extracted from it, and, and, we wouldn't, and that, that didn't happen. 
And so there's these side pieces on all of this. And what I would encourage you to do, and there's a couple more that we threw up there, uh, uh, you know, the uh, post-millennialism and, um, and, and the piece with that and amillennialism, they, they uh, believe some derivative of, you know, that there will be, um, that the, the, one of them believes, amillennialists, I believe, believe that, um, that we're living in the, that, that we're living in, all of this is um, ethereal, that none of, it's all prophetic talk, but it's not really, um, it, it's all simple. And the post-millennials uh, believe that, um, that we're looking at um, God through us setting up a millennial reign, that everyone will get saved. And, uh, and that really is, um, if you will, Jesus Christ in us, the hope of glory. And so everyone gets saved. And so we'll have a thousand years, if you will, of just the whole earth being revi- uh, revived and, uh, and saved. And Jesus doesn't necessarily come down. They think that's more symbolic uh, that he came down in us. And so there's these different derivatives of all these, but the two most popular are post-trib and pre-trib. And so what I would say to you and me is as we dig into these scriptures, let's figure out what it was God saying for us in our daily lives. What, what are we supposed to be applying to our everyday? How does that help me keep my marriage together? How does that keep me from beating that dude at work for all the, being a jerk? Are you tracking with me? What, what am I supposed to be doing with my life that's valuable? And I would propose to you that every one of the apocalyptic teachings in Scripture are all about you and I learning some key lessons about us so that we can be who we need to be, so that we can accomplish what we need to accomplish. Are you tracking with me? Say yes. So whether it's pre-trib, post-trib, millennial, post-millennial, I don't really care. I just want to be right with Jesus all my days, and I want to live the way I was supposed to live for him. Are you tracking with me? Say yes. So with that being said, let's jump into Matthew chapter 24 and verse 43, and we're going to look at this Matthew 24 passage because it really does. Jesus covers a good bit of what the end is. And this is kind of our key verse uh, for this particular teaching. He said, but understand this, Matthew 24, 43, if the owner of the house had known at what time of the night the thief was coming, he would have kept watch and would not have let his house be broken into. This is the theme, really, of all that Jesus is talking about. He gives us, if you will, he gives us three life lessons in this whole Matthew 24 passage. I felt like you loved me so much that you would trust me maybe to extract those and not read the entire chapter because you didn't want to be here until uh, 1 o'clock in the afternoon because you're prepping for the Dallas game. So with that being said, I'm going to extract the three life lessons instead of reading the entire passage. And so the first life lesson that Jesus is teaching us is let no one deceive you. Let no one deceive you. That's his first life lesson. In Matthew chapter 24, verse 3 through 5, look at that with me. As Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately. Tell us, they said, when will this happen? What will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? And Jesus answered, watch out that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name claiming I am the Christ and will deceive Many, dropping down to verse 24, for false Christ and false prophets will appear and perform great signs and miracles to deceive even the elect, if if that were possible. See, I have told you ahead of time. So let me ask you this. If if someone came to you, now I want you to picture this scenario. They come to him and they're like, Jesus, how will we know the end? You have to tell us. And his answer is not, well, you'll see seven blood moons. There will be this nation called America, and there will be an El Presidente who does this and this and this and this and that. He doesn't do that. He goes straight into this thought process. He goes, watch out that no one deceives you. Why why is that his response? 
When they're asking, give us a step, a play-by-play. Jesus, give us the play-by-play how we'll know the end is here. Because oh, we want to know. And he goes, well, first off, let me just put it in perspective. Watch out that no one deceives you. There'll be a lot of deception. Many will say, I'm the Christ. Many will say, this is the right way. Many will come. And so Jesus starts his preparation, and he actually says, and see, I'm telling you this ahead of time. And the reason why he's telling us that ahead, and what I believe the reason why is because he's, he's going to teach us, if you will follow the Holy Ghost, you won't get deceived. But if you are deceived, there will be so much deception and so much falling away. Don't let it happen to you. Don't let yourself be deceived. So I want to give you a couple thoughts on how to keep yourself from being deceived. Anybody want to deceive-proof your life? Now, let me just say, no one who's deceived thinks they're deceived. Have you ever been tricked? Have you? I have. I went crazy for about a month period buying everything online uh, at night uh, back in the day when they would advertise these little things. Get fit now. The spinazizer. It will lose weight within a matter. I bought them suckers, man. They show up at the door and be a little piece of junk plastic, and I'd be so mad. Like, this is junk. That's not what you put on that TV. Anybody ever had that? You got deceived. You got tricked. You got tricked. Do you know why you got tricked? Because you thought that you could get a shortcut to sexy. You thought there was a shortcut to it. And so they, they, they sold it to you, man. They sold it. And if you drink this little stuff mixed with this honey and this little bit of this, you will lose 100 pounds tomorrow. You're like, I got to try it. I got to try it. And they show this person, you know, and all of a sudden the next picture is like, and you're like, I got, that could be me. And that junk comes in the mail, and it all but kills you. And your doctor, you end up in the hospital, and they're like, what did you take? You're like, I saw it on TikTok. I thought it would fix everything. Every one of us are deceivable. Everybody say amen. That's true. We all can be tricked. We've all been tricked. And so Jesus is telling his disciples. He's trained them by hand. They, they're, the, they are, they're, the, they're the leaders of the church to be. And he's telling them. Hey, you're going to get stupid, I'm going to tell you. And the argument's going to be so good that you're going to believe it. Many, even the elect, if possible, are going to fall away because of this deception. So let me help you. Let me give you a couple thoughts on how to be deceive-proof. Write this down. Number one, you need to know the Word of God for yourself. You need to worry about yourself. You need to know the Word of God for yourself. When you come to church here, when you connect with us as Hill City and us as your pastors, when we share you, the Word with you, that should already be confirming what you're reading and knowing. And that way, if I say something stupid, you're like, ooh, pastor, I love you, but mm, I don't know about that. Mm, mm, wow, praise the Lord. Ooh. You should know the Word of God for yourself. You shouldn't be just blind. And you're watching all these people on Christian television and all their posts, and you're like, they're right. I don't know why, but it just feels so good. It feels so good. It sounds so amazing. And they, and they do these one line drop, mic drop, boom. And everybody's like, yes. And you're reposting all that. Have you, have you, actually, have you actually read that in Scripture? Is that even in the Bible? Like, are you sure? That sounds good. But again, he's warning us. The first thing he does is warn us not to get deceived. Talking about the end of the world. He doesn't go into how it's going to happen, when it's going to happen. What the, don't be deceived. First thing I need to tell you, you go, what? There's going to be a lot of lies out there. So the way to keep yourself from being deceived, know the word of God for yourself. Do you know the reason why I went so crazy this last year to get us connected with Bible school training? Because you won't come to church enough. 
I can't teach you the word fast enough. You only have a 20, uh, American adults, the psychologists have proved it, you only have a 20-minute attention span. Why do you think I'm like, no, 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 You're like, ah, that's because I know I got 20 minutes. I got 20 minutes. I keep thinking, maybe I could reset. We'll stop, take a break, come back and get another 20 minutes out of you. But I know good and well that I can't get you here every Sunday and teach. And not only that, how am I going to get you to knowing your word and knowing your Jesus just by a quick Sunday message? you got to know the word for yourself. So that's why I went crazy to try to find a way to get you in some Bible training. Lost my mind this last year. Almost killed myself to try to accomplish it for us. And that's why I begged and pleaded with you a couple months ago, please take these little courses that I've personally worked on with a Bible school to help you get trained. Offer to you for a little bit of nothing. In fact, with that guilt that I'm now putting on you, I want to put up the little link <laughs> that you can go. You can take your phone out right now and hit that QR code, and you can start getting you some little Bible training online while you're driving. In your, one, one brother came up to me and said, Pastor Tears in his eyes. He said, you know, he drives a truck. He goes, on my break, while they're loading my truck, I have a good 30 minutes all the time. And these little courses are 30 minutes each. He said, that's perfect for me. I'll sit there and watch it on my phone and grow in God. I said, come on, Pastor. That's what I'm talking about. I need you growing it. I need you to know the Word of God for yourself. Because you can't get me on the phone every day. Pastor, I just heard this. What do you think about that? I don't know. i got to go figure out what that crazy person was talking about. You ever notice that about a lie? You've got to figure out what they're talking about to even present, bring the truth. So i got to go dig two, three, four hours to figure out what you came up with to be able to say, well, no, the Scripture says this. Because I don't even know what you're talking about. And so, so you and I, if we'll get down in the Word and know our Word, I promise you, we'll be deceived-proof. Here's the second way to be deceived-proof. You still with me? Say yes. yes. Stay committed and submitted to the Holy Spirit. Yes. You, have, you and I have to stay submitted to the Holy Spirit, to the Holy Ghost. John 16 and 13. But when He, talking about the Holy Ghost, the Spirit of truth, what's He called? The Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you into what? Into all the truth. Jesus didn't abandon us. He said, I'm going to send you a comforter. The Holy Ghost is going to come inside of you, and he's going to lead you to all truth. Can I tell you, when you're getting deceived, it's because you are pushing back against the Holy Spirit and not listening to him. I've done it a hundred times this week, probably. I'm telling you, walking in submission to the Holy Spirit, it gets difficult because I want to be in charge of my life. Go tell that person you're sorry. No, I will not. They're wrong. Go give that person $100. That $100, yeah, that's $100. Are you kidding me? But when you and I walk in submission, it continues on. It says, for he will not speak on his own initiative, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will disclose to you what is to come. You want to keep from being deceived? Prove the Holy Spirit will tell you what's to come. He will watch out for you. He will guide you. I'm telling you, the, the Spirit of the Lord has guided me around so many pits. So many pits. It's amazing how quick he does if I'll just listen to him and stay submitted to him. Don't do that. Don't, don't say that to them. Go away from that. Don't, don't, don't allow them to be in that place. And if I'll just submit, it's amazing. And then the last piece I would teach you on how to keep from being deceived, and that is keep it simple. Saint. <laughs> keep it simple. Keep it simple. Anytime you get to hearing all this and you're like, I, I don't know what he's talking about. 
and then the Greek word on top of the Hebrew word on top of this, and you get seven blood moons, and then you do this, and you do this, and you drop it to a That's what God's saying. And you're like, I don't know what they're talking about. Can I just tell you something? The same spirit that rose Christ from the dead dwells in you. You are not an idiot. You are not unintelligent. You are not stupid. And anytime someone appeals to be higher thinker than you and try, I'm telling you, that's deception is in the middle of that mess because Jesus never did it. He kept it simple. Would you agree with me that Jesus was the smartest human to ever walk the planet? Thank you. Go back and look at his teachings. He used simple things. He used wheat, sheep, and goats. Why? Because he wasn't intelligent? <laughs> Are you kidding me? Because we're not intelligent? No. Because it's in this, because God moves in, in the simplicity. He's simple. Jesus said, My ways are easy. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. There's no complication in Jesus. Anytime you get all that confusion, all that, back up and say, so Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Jesus is simple. His word's simple. Dead religion will make it so complicated that you're just never good enough and you can't ever do it right and, and I don't really understand it. Jesus, if you can't understand it, then why would Jesus throw it out there to confuse you? He keeps it simple and easy. Simple and easy. Keep it simple. Here's the second piece in this Matthew 24. So the first thing he tells us is don't be deceived. Here's the second thing that he's telling us about end time stuff and that is reject apathy. Write that down. So it starts with, don't let yourself get deceived. He said, here's what I'm going to tell you about the end of the world. Don't let yourself get, the first thing I'm going to tell you, don't get, then he, then he moves into, don't, you need to reject apathy. Let me read this passage to you. Still in Matthew 24, down in verse 36. He says, no, no one knows about that day or hour, not even the angels in heaven, nor the son, but only the father. Who, who knows about the end? Who doesn't know about it? The rest of us. I, I always get a kick out of these guys. We know what day it is. September 23rd. Because in Isaiah 23, verse 17, it'll be at 17 hour o'clock. Because it says this. And it's crazy. All these people go running around after these jokers. A friend of mine a couple years ago, there was this guy, I think he was out of Florida, and he was talking about he knew the date that Jesus was going to come back and the end of the world was going to happen and that the believers would be taken away and everyone else would be left with their mess. And a friend of mine, a pastor, a friend of mine, a pastor, posted on Craigslist, all of you who believe this, here is my number. Please reach out to me because I would like to come get your stuff. If you're going to be gone tomorrow, give me your stuff today. I'm going to make some money off of it since I'm a heathen that's going to be left. The reason that is is because no man knows the hour. And so when you, well, don't, don't listen to all those podcasts and all that. You get in there, we know. And you can tell with this and that. Jesus said no man knows the hour. But the reason why he tells us that, if you'll keep reading, because he's making a point. He says, as it is in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. For, and then he qualifies it, verse 38. For in the days of, before the flood, people were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage up to the day Noah entered the ark. Now, let me put this in perspective for you. Noah, for 100 years, has been saying, the end of the world is coming. It's the end of the world as we know it. He's running around saying, the end of the world is coming. Repent. Be saved. Follow Jehovah with me. God wants to save you. And they just kept doing what they had been doing. Because their sense of urgency was like, he might be telling the truth. But like most of us, I'm not going to study for the exam until the night before. I'm not going to be ready for it 
because I feel like I can get ready at the last second. Come on, anybody like that in the room? You're the one that you wait to the last minute we're supposed to be walking out the door to get to church. We all do this, right? And really, he's telling us, reject that apathetic nature that's in all of us. All of us want to wait to the last second. All of us like, oh, it's not really going to happen. And we get wooed and we get, we get you know, just to, to fall asleep and, and, and just and we lose passion for Jesus. And the enemy is so good at that, wooing us away for the th- from the things that really matter. And we get caught up. And that's what he said. They get, and, and for their era, being caught up in marrying and festivals and all this kind of stuff. And he's like, the end is coming. The end is coming. And Jesus like, listen, don't let that happen. You've got to reject the apathy to just settle in, buy houses, have nice cars, do your little job, you know, post a little few things. He's like, you've got to reject that because the end is coming, but no one knows when. So you have to live ready. You have to be ready at all times. Are you tracking with me? Say yes. And that's really what he's talking about. And, and so let me give you a couple thoughts. Again, a little sub-teachings in the midst of the big teaching. How to, how to, what? How to get rid of this, um, or what causes this apathy in you and me? The first thing that causes apathy is sin. See, when you have sin in your life that you won't repent of, it causes you to say, well, whatever. Whatever. You know? You know, whatever. You know, God wants me. He can come get me. But, you know, whatever. So I've learned to quickly repent of sin in my life. We get to repent of sin. Like, I don't understand why we are all intimidated of the word repent. It's control-alt-delete. It's due over. Like, are you crazy? Like, remember I was telling you guys this a few months back or years ago. I'm getting old, you know, back in 85. No, in the Olympics. Can you imagine? You're in the race, and they hit, and you stumble and fall, and you get to say, time out. Can we do it again? They're like, yeah, come on, let's do it again. That's repentance. Like, why would you not fall on your face and say, God, I'm so stay back. Have mercy on me, oh God, you're so good. Because the Bible says he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness when we repent. Why would you not repent? Why would you? Listen, I wake up every day and repent. At the end of the day, I'm repenting about something. Oh God, I, that was stupid. Oh man, that's not like your nature. Have mercy on me. That's why I live happy. That's why I'm so passionate. People are like, man, I just love your energy. It's not energy. It's passion that comes from being in right relationship with Jesus. Only, I'm not in right relationship because I'm holier than everybody else. I'm just smarter than everybody else. I repent. And I get do-overs. And you're like, I just, I, just, I just can't make it work. Everybody else is a million yards up, and I'm just, I fell. And so because I fell, my life is just it's terrible because I fell. I went through a divorce. I went through this. My life, oh, where's God? <laughs> repent. Let's go. Let's go. That apathy because you've got some sin. Repent of it. Let's go. Here's the other cause of apathy, and that is an unchecked attitude. Ah, I'm going to preach to myself for a second. Y'all just, y'all just sit there for a second. Those attitudes that aren't like Jesus, I get them. Ain't that good for nothing, no good for nothing. I can't tell you, 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 you just, I'll tell you, they could just burn for all I care. That's not the attitudes of Christ. Somebody hurts you, somebody don't do right by you, you get an attitude about it. The attitudes of Christ, they look more like joy, goodness, forgiveness. Don't you hate to be around somebody with a bad attitude? How you doing? Okay. Really? Well, your okay sucks. And I don't want to be anywhere around your okay. Like, are you serious? Like, 
Aren't you a Christian? Like, like, life is good. I'm just going through so much. Well, we all are. Welcome to life. That's why all my post trip guys are like, see, you hadn't prepared them to go through nothing. So they get in a little bit of hardship. And like, oh, 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 just kill me now, God. No strength to us. Here's the third and final cause of apathy that I would say, and that is never stretching beyond what is easy. Most people I know are apathetic in their, in their love relationship with Jesus because they never try anything that's scary. Why do you think I beg you to go on mission strips? I know you've got a, you know, that you've got a breathing machine that you don't want to stay in a room with everybody with. I understand you got that old stuff on your feet that you don't want nobody to see. I get that. I get that that your kids, you know, you only got a little bit of time with them in the summer. You get one week of vacation because of your job. I get, I'm not stupid. Why am I pushing you to go do short-term mission trips to get in small group life? You know, small group life sucks. It's hard because people are weird. And they'll be nice one day and mean the next day, as is all of us. And he's just like, oh, I don't even want to talk to them anymore. They didn't even call me for the birthday party. <laughs> well, yeah. But until you stretch, you don't grow. Every one of you workout studs, all the men in our church, I walk up to them like, dude, your arms are bigger than my thighs. And they're all sweet about it. You know, what I, what I don't get to see is them in there going, Rah! stretching those muscles, putting pain to them. Because growth comes through pain. Apathy is a result of never trying anything that's uncomfortable. Never try. You just want to come, sit, and receive. And this is the Church of America. Make me feel good, Pastor. I want the air condition to be right. I want the, don't let, if the volume gets too loud, you know, whoo, wait a minute, that coffee was cold. I gave $5. I know it goes to missions, but still, this is nasty. I, I get it. I get it. Like, you know, we're, we are accustomed to comfort because we live in the United States. But all you got to do is get out there in the rest of the world and see how much pain they go through. And our ungratefulness for the miracle that God did in our nation, I'm telling you, it's killing us. We should be light into all the dark places because we're so favored and so blessed. And so shame on us for having a lot and never helping anyone else. Stretch, and you won't be apathetic. You won't be like them in the days of Noah. Stretch, do something that's uncomfortable. Walk up to somebody at work and say, I know, I know this is weird. I'm so sorry. But if you died today, would you go to heaven? I'm like, what? I don't know. I, the pastor just told me to stretch. I don't, I don't know. I don't know. I don't even know what to tell you now. I, don't die and go to hell. God bless you. Sin no more. Amen. You know. But it's a stretch. Can you imagine the first time I preached? It was bad. I'm going to just tell you right now. I, did, I was not born with the ability to transform the world with my amazing articulation skills, as you know, because I still don't have them. But what I did was, I'll never forget the first message I preached afterwards. You pastor was like, hey, um, did you read the Bible before you shared that? <laughs> that's, that's false doctrine, bro. <laughs> There's 200 young people. They're like, yeah, that's good. He's like, come here. No, what's wrong with you? Don't ever do that again. We're all growing or we're all dying. And if you never stretch, if you never go outside of your comfort zone, 
then you live in apathy, and that apathy will destroy you. Here's the third big teaching in the book of Matthew, this third big life lesson. The first one was very clear, and I brought that one out to you. Let no one deceive you. The second one, reject apathy. And here's the third one, and he says it real clearly, keep watch. Or I would say live ready. Matthew 24, 42. Therefore, keep watch. Because you don't know. He's, he's summarizing all that he's told them. He's told them there are going to be wars and rumors of wars. He said, but this is just the beginning of birth pains. And that, he said, the end is still to come. I mean, listen, from the 80s, we thought wars in, from the 60s and 70s. This is it. This is it. Vietnam is proof that Jesus is about to come back. And then in, 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 into you know, the Gulf War. Is this happening? There's wars all over the place. And then even, can you imagine what they were going through during the Civil War here in the United States? They thought, this is it. This is it. Jesus said, there will be wars, rumors of wars, earthquakes and famines. I mean, this whole earth has been groaning for so many thousands of years. And it says the earth groans, waiting for the sons and daughters of the Most High God to be revealed, waiting for us to rise up and win the earth waiting for us. The earth is groaning literally because, we, because Adam came from the dirt and Eve came from Adam, that we are connected to the land. I don't know if you get this. And so the earth is groaning, earthquakes and famines and all these things are happening in the earth because Jesus wants you and I to win the lost and transform this old wicked world and take as many with us to, to heaven as we can before this thing wraps up, explodes, and goes away. And so he gives us this whole thing. He says, but understand this. If the owner of the house had known at what time of night the thief was coming, back to our key verse, he would have kept watch and would have not have let his house be broken into. So you also must be ready because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. And so he uses the term keep watch. I would qualify that a little bit more with live ready. That's what he's meaning, keep watch. Live ready. Live, live completely ready. And then he gives us a great illustration of what he's talking about. He said, if you knew a thief was coming, what would you do? If you knew that they were coming to your house to rob, have you ever been robbed? Anybody been robbed in the house? Let's show of hands. Anybody been robbed? Okay, three of you. All right, look at all you other folks living in a little gated community, I guess. I don't know where y'all live. <laughs> Wait a minute, you're the one doing it. Should I ask, how many of you have robbed somebody? Is that what I should have done? Got the other half of the congregation? <laughs> pastor, that was before Jesus, you know. It's under, it's under the blood, Pastor. That ain't me no more. That's right, that's not you. That person's dead. You've been redeemed. When I first moved to Texas from Louisiana, um, now, we came from Baton Rouge, Louisiana, which was, at the time, the third most violent city in America per capita. And so I grew up locking the doors, closing the windows. My wife, on the other hand, lived on the other side of town where they had all their windows open. I thought, and I'll never forget, first going to their house, like, <coughs> y'all are like, hey, come steal our stuff. <laughs> you know, like, like, that's not how we grew up. Like, we locked it down. Like, you wasn't seeing in our house, somebody knocking on the door like, what you want? Why are you here? Anybody invite you over? Ain't nothing in this house you want. And so that's kind of how we, how we grew up. And, uh, and so I moved here. It was supposed to be, I moved to Arlington when we moved here 21 years ago. And the chief of police at the time of Arlington was the highest paid chief of police in the nation. I think he had some kind of double doctorate degree or something. And he was the premier leader on safety for a community. And he had all these amazing things that he had put in place. So Arlington was supposed to be this wonderful, safe place. We hadn't lived there six months. And I went out out in our driveway to go leave for the morning to go up to the church 
and my wife's minivan was not there. I went back inside. I said, hey, baby, did you park your car somewhere else? She goes, no, what are you talking about? I was like, uh, your van's not right there. It's not in the driveway. She goes, oh, sure it is. What are you talking about? She comes out and she's like, where is it? I'm like, I don't know. Do you have your keys? She's like, yeah, I have my keys. I was like, okay, well, um, hmm. And as we began to inspect, we found little shards of glass on the ground. And it hit us. We've been robbed. We, we have been robbed. And of all cars, they took our minivan. Like, dude, what are you, what are you, what are you hauling cocaine to Mexico? What are you doing? Like, why do you need, it's an ugly minivan. It wasn't even a good looking minivan. I was like, dude. And so, and so, um, and so then she goes, and guess what else? I was like, what? She goes, I left my purse in it. I was like, are you serious? Yes. And what all was in your purse? All of our credit cards. I was like, Jamie, baby, love, love. What, you, you white people. I mean, it's like, golly, what, what are you thinking? Like, what's wrong with you, girl? And so, you know, and then my wife did what my wife would. I would never cheat on my wife. I won't tell you why. Because she can, what she can do online with a computer or her phone, I'm convinced that she has found a way to make the smoke detector have a camera everywhere I go and know exactly what I'm doing, when I'm doing it, how I'm doing it. I'm telling you, she got online and she found out that these idiots had charged some stuff. The first place they went was to the gas station because she don't ever keep gas in her car, so they couldn't go anywhere. Used her credit card to put gas in our stolen minivan. Then they went to Walmart. They spent like $2,000 at Walmart at 3 in the morning. What? Like, does no one notice that somebody's like, yeah, we're buying these couches and all these things? Like, who's big shopping at 3 o'clock in the morning? Did no one think that maybe this person is not Jamie McCain? Like, anybody think that? And so then, so we called the police. And, oh, I was so excited because we got evidence of where they're at. Surely the racetrack gas station has cameras. And we know Walmart's got cameras. We're going to get these suckers. I was so excited. We're going to get them. We're going to praise God. We're going to get our men, make them pay. Hallelujah. Because when you've been robbed, the violation is un- it's almost indescribable. And, and, and so when you talk about even people who've been r- robbed in their sexuality and broken and hurt and things like that, the, the pain is, is almost indescribable. And so here we are with this little car thing. And, and call the police. They said, we'll, we'll, be, we'll be there. That was 8 a.m. 9 a.m., nobody. 10 o'clock, nobody. By 11, I'm blowing up 911. Like, where are you? Where is everybody? Oh, they're coming. They're going to be there. This joker shows up at 4 p.m. Shows up. He's got his little shorts on. Gets out of the car. Can't hardly breathe. (gasps) Comes up, and I'm like, like, so are you, like, are you Arlington Police? Like, who are you? We're here to write a report. I'm like, listen, I don't need you to write a report. We got him. I mean, I watch the crime shows. Like, we got this guy. We just need to pull the footage. I need, need pr- either you go to it or loan me your badge. I'll go get the footage. We can make this happen. We can figure this out by the end of the night. I can have my van back. They can be in custody. And not only that, but they probably have murdered people too, right? Because they stole our van. And, uh, and uh, he said, ah, it doesn't work that way. We write a report. And if anybody... Turns your van in, we'll let you know. I'm like, are you kidding me? I'd never experienced this. From that point forward, I realized they're not going to catch these guys. They're not even going to try. So it's up to me. (laughs) 
So I developed a plan that night. I'm going to bait them back in to try to steal my other car. Now, we had a two-story house, and it had a bedroom right overlooking the driveway. So for the next six, eight nights, while my wife is in the master bedroom in our king-size bed, I am at the window with it open, screen off, and I have a few protection um, pieces, being a good Louisiana boy. And I'm, and I'm sitting 2 o'clock in the morning. Oh, God, let him come. I have baited my car in. I've left the, I left the windows down. I put the keys on the dashboard. I went and bought a steak from the steak restaurant and put it. No, I didn't do all that. But I, 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 I baited them in like, let's go. Come back and get the next one. Let's go. And I was prepared to take them out. You won't steal from me again, suckers. Let's go. And after about a week, I realized that that was fruitless. And I got tired of sleeping by myself on the floor, looking out a window all night long, waking up every three minutes when some dog came by and started barking, trying to get the steak in the front seat. No, I'm just kidding. It was then and there that I realized, had I prepared for the thief in advance, I wouldn't have got robbed. Jesus is using the thief analogy to basically tell you and I, just live ready. If you're right with me, and you're doing your best to love others, you're ready. Let's go. So my question to you would be, is there anything, if Jesus showed up tomorrow, the end of the world happened tomorrow, and you were to stand before God, is there anything right now you would want to make right that you don't want to have to be responsible for? Any piece of the test that you would fail because you've not even tried to be, obey the Lord in that area? Live ready. Don't have anything on your conscience. The Bible talks about when you and I are worshiping for the Lord and we're bringing our sacrifice and our gifts before the Lord and we realize that we have wounded or sinned against our brother. Stop what we're doing and go make that right. Is there anything that, you know, I, I talk to people all the time that they won't even talk to their mom or their cousin or their brother because of the horrible thing that they did years ago. Is that, would you want this thing to wrap up and that still be like that? Is that really what you want? I think that's what Jesus is really challenging us on. See, he doesn't really care about the date and the time and how it's going to happen, what the Antichrist is going to look like. Will, will it be a woman? Will it be a man Antichrist? Will it, will, you know, will it, will it be the European uh, uh, EU? Is that really the one world government? You know, is, uh, is, 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 is you know, so-and-so, former president, such-and-such, going to do this, and that one's going to do this, and this person over here, over there in Africa is going to do this? He's not worried about all that. He's worried about you and me. Will we be ready? And he's warning us, live ready. Live ready. What would you change if you knew tomorrow was the end? What would you do different tonight? What would you turn off? What would you get rid of? Some of you remember being in, maybe you never had this season at Christ for the Nations, they do room inspections for the students once a week. They come inspect their rooms because they realize they're not good tenants. So they have to teach them, as an 18-year-old, how not to destroy CFNI's property. So they go in and they inspect. It's amazing how crazy these people go an hour before inspection. It's amazing. What would you do if tomorrow you knew was the inspection of your life? What would you change? This really is the message of Matthew 24. That's why I made it the key scripture. Watch, be ready, keep watch, live ready. 
I want you to do me a favor. I want you to stand with me all across the room. Would you keep... Hey, everybody. Wasn't that a great message? I know that as we speak, your life is being changed by the word of the Lord. So here's what I want you to do. Take some time to think about it. Consider it. Pray and ask the Lord how you can apply it to your life today and this week. And maybe there's something that he's asking you to change or do differently in your life. So let's not let this be something that we just watch and then walk away like nothing happened. We're so grateful to be able to hear the word of the Lord. You weren't here in person today, but you're here with us online and that matters. And if you made a decision for Christ today, we wanna know. We wanna know how to come alongside you and how to support you and how we can best pray for you. So please, if you did make that decision for Christ today, text the word DECIDED to 469-606-2684. We can't wait to see you back next week, same time, same place. Share these posts with your friends. Share it on your social media. Blast it out there. Don't be greedy and keep it to yourself. We love you and we'll see you soon. God bless.